Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 157. This week I talk with Yina Arenas about the Microsoft Graph API. Where is Carl? And this one simple trick will earn you nearly $20,000 more per year. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DOCX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. This week, I'm speaking with Yina Arenas. She leads engineering for Microsoft Graph, one of the highest profile engineering projects in Office and at Microsoft. During her career at Microsoft, she has been building the platform that enables an ecosystem of developers to build applications that access data and relationships across Office and all Microsoft cloud services. How's it going, Yina? Hi, Jason. How are you? Thank you for having me in the show. Good, good. Uh, so Carl's not here right now. So he's actually, believe it or not, he's actually spending six weeks inside of one of our uh, underwater Azure data centers. Uh, <laughs> he's in there to see uh, see how hot it gets. Um, he's taking so, some good dives then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's got his scuba suit and uh, um, I don't know, a whole bunch of reading material. I don't know how good the, the cell signal, if that's able to penetrate the, the water of the ocean, but um you know, I don't know. That's 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 where he's at. Uh, that's what he told me. So it's gonna I, be hard to reach for some time. Yeah, exactly. So you know, it is what it is. Uh, so let's jump into the comment of the week. Um, so I actually picked the comment of the week, and hopefully, I pronounce this guy's name right. It is uh, Sergey. Zach Zacharchenko, I think, um, is how you pronounce it. So on a previous show, I was asking, I have a Surface book, and I was asking how you can tell if the NVIDIA GPU is actually be, being activated uh, during something. And I know there's ways to kind of force it. Uh, but he actually sent me a tip that uh, there is a piece of software called HW Monitor. Uh, it's by CPU ID. Uh, and it shows the GPU, like, um, I don't even know how to say it. Cause I want to say GPU CPU, but like the actual GPU chip itself, um, it shows like the, uh, the, the percent usage, um, in real time. It's kind of like the, the real time CPU usage you'd get from, uh, um, from task manager. So, um, that was kind of a cool tip because, you know, I, I tried out some different things that I figured would not use the GPU and it was sitting at 0%. I actually haven't, you know, run anything that actually uses uh, GPU acceleration, but he said he, he's found some applications where he's able to get that GPU percent to go up. Um, so yeah, you that's have to how... get into the gamers world in order to be using yeah. more of the GPU. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the, the GPU is sort of wasted on me, admittedly. So, uh, it is what it is. Uh, so the comment of the week gets it's a developer small business license for Aspose.TotalFor.net, which includes all of the Aspose.net products in one package. Uh, and if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com uh, or comment on any of our social media channels. And we always love those five-star iTunes reviews. We have a ton of them out there now, so we appreciate everybody who does that. Uh, now, jumping into the news, we only have one story in here that I wanted to talk about, which is developers who use spaces make more money than those who use tabs. <laughs> so I guess, so I guess, this I guess it's a settled. Flow, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they, they have their, you know, annual developer survey and we've actually talked about this on the show before all the data that they gather on that. And you can actually download the data and run your own data science on it. But uh, there was somebody who was uh, looking at it and saying, okay, well let's, let's take a look at 
you know, tabs versus spaces, like which one actually makes a developer more money. And, and just to be clear, like, I don't, I don't want people to start saying, well, you know, um, correlation does not equal causation. Yes, I totally get it. Cause I, I think what's actually going on here is basically the people that are making more money that are using languages that, that make more money, um, are basically, you know, languages that, that use, uh, that favor spaces instead of tabs. I think that's, what's actually going on here, but the difference was, uh, significant, so it ended up being, let me get you the exact percent because it was at the end of the article here. So it said, the model estimated that using spaces instead of tabs leads to an 8.6% higher salary. Wow. Um, and it says using spaces instead of tabs was worth as much as an extra 2.4 years of experience. <laughs> so, you know, the logical conclusion that we're going to draw here is that if you use uh, space, if you are currently using tabs, um, you need switch. a raise, just switch. Yeah, just switch. Just <laughs> yeah. go and use spaces. Yep, just tell your boss, hey, I switched. I'm sorry about that. You know, <laughs> when can I expect my... Actually, just go right to HR. Uh, I don't even think you have to talk to your boss. Like, it's purely just a pay thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, so what I, do you use? Well, so I, you know, I've talked about this before on the show. I, I think tabs in, in, many ca- in most cases, I would say, are technically superior However, I use whatever whatever the language, um, you know, whatever the default is for the language. So, uh, some developers that are listening to this that that haven't been in Visual Studio for a long time uh, might not realize that the first couple versions of, uh, of Visual Studio, and I'm not talking about like VB or uh, um, what the heck was it? Visual Studio six is that what it was called? Um, what the heck was it called back then? I don't whatever whatever the VB six uh, IDE was, um, which I've used as well. But whenever the the .NET versions came out. They actually defaulted to tabs back then. And I want to say it was the first two versions of Visual Studio that actually um, used tabs by default. So I would use tabs for everything. And then um, I don't, again, I don't recall which version it switched in. Somebody will probably write in and tell us what version, but uh, then the default switched to spaces. And, you know, I fought it probably for like a year and then I finally gave in because you run in all these weird formatting issues. And um, yeah, so it is what it is. How about you? What do you prefer? I usually do spaces, but then I have this trick of like going and fi- uh, fixing the indentation, just <laughs> selecting all the code and then just like say, hey, fix my code. And then it just does the, all the uh, fixing at once. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, mean, I then I start counting, you know? Yeah. Like yeah, if you, one, two, if you, three, four. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, if you have you? a good, if you have a good formatter, I mean, if your IDE like does a good job formatting, then theoretically, like every time you hit save or check in or whatever, like you should just have it do that because, you know, I, I don't know, I, I tend to like sit there and try to keep the code up to date and keep it all like indented properly and everything. And um, I don't know, that's a, that's a huge tax for, for something that the computer can do much quicker and easier yeah. than, than me. So uh, but it's can, definitely interesting what you can do with just um, with some time and the right data, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 2.4 yeah. years of experience if you use the spaces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I'd like to hear from our listeners. Why don't you send us an email and let us know, you know, if you if you do use spaces, uh, let me know what you use all that extra money for. I'm curious what you buy, you know, fun toys. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk about something else that is really cool, which is the Microsoft Graph. And this came about because um, you know Carla and I we we were at Build, and uh, in the keynote, and 
man, throughout all different sessions, people kept talking about the the Microsoft graph. Uh, I just kept getting mentioned over and over again. I was like, okay, well, I guess we have to have a show on this. It's become significant enough to, you know, the population at large. So can you just uh, describe like, what is the Microsoft graph? Absolutely. So basically, the Microsoft Graph is the gateway to data in the Microsoft Cloud Services and is a way for enabling developers to take advantage of the tremendous amount of data and users that are not only within Office 365 and Azure Active Directory, but also now in other services like Intune or Windows or um our security offerings, all of those services coming together and exposing their data in a form of APIs. So basically Mm -hmm. a REST endpoint that developers can connect to and uh, interact with all of the data behind them. So was this formally the Office 365 graph? So not really. It started okay. with Office 365 because, yeah. you know, Office 365 is our productivity uh, suite, our offering for productivity, where you will find information about users and groups and organizations and all of the different content that comes out from them. Um, so the it was very heavily focused on Office 365, but our, our mission from the beginning was to create this um, single endpoint where developers could access all of the data across users and groups and organizations around the information that they have all up in Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So it, it was it was from the beginning called Microsoft Graph, hosted on graph.microsoft.com, even if the early services that we're in were all office services. Okay. And then when we say graph, I mean, that sort of implies like this, this network of, of relationships. But when I hear you describe what it is, it's, you know, you're, you're taking these APIs and kind of putting them into one place. So, so does the this is this is going to be kind of a weird sounding question but does a does the some of the APIs in the Microsoft graph do they have to be graph like or can they just be APIs they can be just APIs okay. uh, but there's a lot of them that are graph like like when we look at the information for the users in our services there's mm-hmm. actually you know, the core information for a user resides in Azure Active Directory mm-hmm. then with their their files are hosted in OneDrive. Their mail and calendar is in Exchange. And the ability to go and say, I'm going to look at a file for a user, then uh, get that content coming from OneDrive, and then look at metadata that tells me who was the last person who modified that file, and be able to jump and traverse that relationship to the directory and see their profile, and then go and see, are they out of office or not? So I can connect them or contact them uh, for a specific workflow. So that's mm-hmm. there is a lot of connections and relationships between the data in the graph. And there's also data that uh, just lives on its own, right? Like they might not have a uh, necessary connection with others. So yeah. we have both. Well, what I like, I mean, everything like starts with me. And when I say me, it's like you, you query and and like, you're the center of your, your own graph. I mean, ultimately it seems like pretty much every, I mean, everything in some way or another sort of relates to me. And when I say me, Mm -hmm. I mean you. (laughs) We actually have a token. We actually have a token in the API, which is slash me that, uh, brings all of your data, right? Like brings all right. of your profile information. And then from there, you can start navigating to all of that content. But it, the, the information in the graph is not just about me, but also about <laughs> groups and organization and the devices and all of that information that is available in our services um, that, you know, it's around users and groups and organizational data. And then mm-hmm. also assets, right? Like information about devices and uh, security policies, reporting, like there's so many, so many different uh, data assets in the graph is just exploding. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that, that might be kind of the answer to my next question, which is the fact that at build, like I said, we, we heard so many mentions of it. Um, so why, at least from my perspective, why like this sudden explosion in popularity? Um, well, the, there are more services coming in into the graph. And uh, initially, initially it started, like, like we were mentioning before, it initially started as an Office 365 effort to unify all of the services underneath mm-hmm. Office 365. And now it's expanding beyond Office. And for example, Intune is coming along. So now all of the EMS ecosystem is coming in. Um, the Windows is also coming along with information about devices and roaming and activities. So that the the addition of more data starts making those scenarios way more compelling for developers, right? Like That's a good point, when yeah. you can create those applications that uh, bring all the contextual information to make a person super productive and also are aware of like where they're located and where was the the, the activities or the the activities that they were performing right before, it, it becomes super powerful. Yeah. So um, that and then the combination of like, you know, we have the data. If you think about it, like all of our different services that we have at Microsoft, whether it's Office or um, Windows or Bing or LinkedIn and Dynamics, that's a huge amount of data and a huge opportunity for developers to interact with that data. And you take that, you take the data and then you take the compute capabilities that we have on Azure, right? And all of the you know, the uh, offering that we have there in terms of compute and services. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you add on top of that, you add AI. And that's a super compelling offering. I mean, it's like, I believe that there's a very few other players in the industry that have such combination and powerful offering for developers. Yeah. Um, so do I end up, I mean, actually, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You know, so I, if I want to access like all of these things, I want to ac- access like calendar items and then I want to access, you know, devices and Intune data and all that. I mean, I just have to authenticate once, correct? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So that's huge. Cause I hate, you know, anytime I, I want to like start working on a project with like multiple APIs, doing this authentication dance is usually the worst part of it. And then if I have to do it for three different services, that's three different dances I have to do and it's not yes. fun. That's actually. <laughs> Uh, one of the early on motivations that uh, prompted us to build a graph, right? Like mm-hmm. I've been working on developer space. Now it's going to be close to seven years at Microsoft. And as I have been working on different projects and products, just the amount of developer pain that developers had to go through when interacting with different services is like different auth schemes, some of the using basic auth, some using forms, some using auth. And uh, that just disparity and how do you handle that in code? That's one. Then mm-hmm. the differences on uh, semantics on the APIs, like when they were talking about a single user and you had to do a, use a GUID for the, to refer on the ID on uh, to when you were talking in Azure AD and then use some other method membership string if you were talking to SharePoint and then use some other thing if you were talking to Windows. That that becomes very complex. And you are talking about information about the same user. Mm-hmm. Um, so having to map that and keep that uh, key in your code, no, that was not not simple. Yeah. And with the graph, you just have to do that once, right? Like you, there's a single endpoint for all of that data and there is a single auth flow, which is, you know, like you were saying, uh, it lowers that barrier significantly when you can just code once, bring in your library, auth library, register your application once, and just get the token to be able to access the API. 
Well, yeah. and, and then also, I mean, everybody can rally around, you know, here's how you authenticate against Microsoft APIs instead of mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm trying to access OneDrive, like I'm going to start searching for OneDrive authentication, you know, in, in like whatever language I'm using. Right. Um, so you'd end up with, you know, so many different resources of varying quality. So this just gets everybody to rally around, you know, one one way of doing this, which is great. And also for the, I mean, not only for the developer experience, but also for the user experience, right? Like when you, as a user, I um, launch an application that asks me for the permissions that it wants to access. And I just do that once. It's not, I'm not being constantly prompted on like, do you want to access OneDrive? Do you want to access uh, mm-hmm. providing internet information? Like how that many, many times. So um, that's also an, an advantage, right? Like being able mm-hmm. to consolidate that experience. Yeah, and is this API? I mean, is it is it pretty modern? Where I'm getting like nice JSON back? That's absolutely not, you know not yeah. including a whole bunch of garbage, and like I can actually easily parse it and all that yes. good, all that good stuff. Yes, yes, it is. Okay. Uh, you get plain JSON back. Uh, we have libraries on you know many platforms, and uh, it's it's a REST endpoint. Mm-hmm. We do use OData for interoperability, so you can uh, use OData operations and uh, to filter, sort, query, format the responses. Uh, but it's just REST endpoint. So just, you know, the normal HTTP verbs convey intention when you make a, a get or a post or a p- patch, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's like the, the, the way that I can always tell if there's a, if the API is, is good enough and concise enough is if I look at the client libraries and I say, uh, I don't even know if I want to bring those in. You know, yeah. I, I had that experience recently. Uh, it's probably a horrible example, but it was uh, with VSTS, um, and I had some some code that was it was pulling stuff in in C sharp, and then I needed to do it through Node. And the API, like I was looking at it, and it was like get activity or you know get uh, work items, and and it would come back with this list, and I'm like. You know what? I don't even know if the overhead of bringing in the client library is is worth it. So I'm just gonna I'll just call the API. So yeah, uh, yeah that's absolutely. Great to hear. And yeah. uh, that's actually one of the techniques that we use on our client libraries, which is uh, people are very familiar on how to make HTTP requests, right? Like, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, whether it's super agent on JavaScript or uh, um, I don't know request on Python, like, you know, there is all, all of these libraries that you can use to to make HTTP requests. And uh, uh, one of the techniques that we're using is just generate models uh, mm-hmm. of our APIs so that you can use uh, intelligence in your IDE. So for example, in our JavaScript SDK, what we have is, is just a wrapper on top of super agent. And uh, we have models that you can use with when you're using TypeScript. So it's a very simple uh, SDK that if mm-hmm. you want to use it, great. It brings you some of the intelligence in Visual Studio. And if not, I mean, it's simple to use the just the REST endpoint. Cool. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what about extending the the graph myself? I mean, am I able to like add kind of custom objects in there? Or I mean, I, I know that it's, it's not a graph database. Like I want to, I want to be careful to yes. like say that it's not a graph database, but is there anything I can do to extend it myself or am I totally barking up the wrong tree? Um, so you're right to say that it's not a graph database. So it's mm-hmm. not, uh, it is representing the graph of data on Microsoft services, like mm-hmm. the, the data that users or our customers put into our services and it represents that, uh, that data graph. There are ways into which developers can enhance that data, extend that data. Um, today we have two ways. One is through open extensions, which is basically just a key value pair that you can add. Say, for example, I have, there's a entity um, contact and I want to add the birthday or I want to add their favorite color or mm. some simple thing that uh, to that particular entity. So I can extend that with um, 
with an open type. And then we have uh, a little bit more richer schematized extensions that uh, developers, ISVs can go and, and define. And the example that I use here is imagine that you're building um, an application for education where mm -hmm. they model uh, classrooms as groups. Right, And so we have the concept of groups in Office 365, and they have all of these constructs. But if they're using the same um, metadata for class, I don't know, Math 101, and then there is many, many Math 101 classes as within a school district, and they have all of this metadata, ISVs can define a schema that defines that and then go in and apply it to each of those groups. So that's another way to enhance the graph and add additional custom data. Okay, that was really interesting on your your client or your uh, contact example. So you know, a contact. Obviously, if I go into like Outlook, I'm gonna see my contacts. If I add a key value property, right? That's that's gonna be hidden from in Outlook, right? Like I'm not gonna see that, but it'll still be ta the the contact will essentially be tagged with that information. Yes. Yeah. So for example, okay. you can add I don't know LinkedIn profile or link to that, yeah. and then if that's you cool. are building a mobile app that takes advantage of that data, and then you can provide that visualization on top of of that data that is stored in there. Okay, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that. Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications, which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats, including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.Words for .NET a powerful toolkit to work with word documents in your applications. Um and then what about what about my my own application data? So instead of the metadata, but I I, I want to get um um you know, my application's data in there. Is there somewhere to to store that in there or or is that really not does that does that even make sense? So defining your own resources that we are working towards that, and uh, and the way that we're doing that is aligning to other company efforts. Uh, there is an effort in Dynamics Org around the custom data model. So basically, is bringing mm -hmm. uh, allowing organizations to bring their own entities when you want to define an inventory or um, a lead that and enhance that as, as well, or bringing a product right like uh, model. I don't know rights or. Um, flights or some, mm -hmm. all of these different sets of different uh, data yeah. and um, CDS is going to give an opportunity to do that. There, it's in preview right now and we're working on how to bring in CDS into the graph such that we have a consolidated story for adding data that is exposed through the endpoint. Okay. And I could always just like, I could use OneDrive for an example, right? So if my application, if I, if I'm already authenticating a user against the graph and I'm accessing that information, I could just store some of my application data in OneDrive, right? You could. I mean, OneDrive uh, has, it's, it's a file base. So it's content management, yeah. right? So I suppose the user could. could see that and just delete it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, know what actually, that is. But, but you know what? <laughs> OneDrive does have an, uh, a, the concept of an app folder where applications can go and, and put their own assets right there into that folder. And, uh, you know, it uh, gets protected from unintentional uh, deletes from users and things like that. But yeah, 
So yeah, that's another option as well. Yeah. Okay. And then I know at uh, Build, um, you guys were talking about um, um, adding like windows and devices to the graph. So like, what do those APIs look like? So these are the APIs from Project Rome. Which oh, okay. basically uh, is, you know, you've heard about it. Project yeah, we, we had an episode, like five episodes back on it that was pretty expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. 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 It was, yeah. Yeah. He was one of them. Yep. Yep. So basically it's those APIs, right? Like Project Chrome okay. has a set of SDKs that allow you to interact with um, proximity and where is a location right. for users and where are the activities and getting that data into the cloud as well. And uh, that is happening through the Microsoft Graph. So you can go okay. and navigate to graph.microsoft.com slash me slash devices and you'll see the list of devices that you have uh, logged in and metadata about that. Those activities. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and actually I should bring up the point, like you can go, uh, you guys have that graph explorer online. So we like, do. if you want to see what data is out there on it, you can, you can go and do that. Cause I'm, I'm kind of curious, you know, I always have this, uh, uh, you know, I, I end up going through a lot of different devices. Um, and what ends up happening is on these services where it tracks it, like, um, Dropbox would be a good example where it has like a list of your, your machines. Um, it's always, I always like have like 15 things in that list <laughs> because, you know, I just like keep like getting a new phone or, or yeah. even wiping it and it like sees it as like a different device. So am I going to see, like, if I go to that devices, am I going to see a whole bunch of devices that I don't use anymore? Do those get cleaned up? Uh, you're going to see the list of the ones that you've used recently. So when I go to that, okay. uh, you log in with your Outlook.com or Hotmail.com account and uh, into the Graph Explorer, which, by the way, is on graph.microsoft.com. It's going to redirect you to their website, and there's a link there to Graph Explorer. So you log in there, and you'll see a list of all of the devices that you've used uh, uh, recently that um, have connected to the Project Rome SDK or you know Windows 10. Yeah, so this is this is the part of the show where I play around with this, and then Carl fills in for me. Um, I'm just I'm just going out there. I wanted to just literally see what it looked like, um, but I won't uh, I won't bore people. So yeah, I went so I went out to that that site, and then I went to the Graph Explorer, um, and then yeah, you just authenticate on the left, which is very cool. And if I hit slash me, I'm getting like my display name, user principal name. There's no job title or anything because of course um, you're using a consumer account. Yeah, I'm just using my my live ID. Yes, exactly. Okay. So th that's another great point, which is like, as a developer, if you're building an application that interacts with users, regardless whether they are business or enterprise users or they're mm -hmm. uh, commercial on personal accounts, it will be the same code. So for example, imagine I'm building an application for my point. phone that allows me to um, send pictures my, my family pictures to OneDrive and uh, pictures of expense reports or things like that to my business account or like, you know, mobile users that take pictures for work on their device, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to sort them out. I can build that using the same code for consumer and commercial and um, not having to deal with, with multiple auth different, different app registrations, different auth flows, different endpoints. It's just one. Yeah, I love it because it's literally the same page. So now I'm using my... Uh, corporate credentials here. So I authenticated. Yeah, so now I'm getting my title, uh, even mobile phone, office location. And did you say uh, it was me slash devices? Yes. Is uh, that what it is? that devices, but on your consumer account. Oh, on the consumer mm -hmm. account. So yeah. um, I'm getting... That doesn't matter. It's not... Uh, uh, me slash devices, my manager, show more samples. You get access to... You know, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, there's all these samples structure. here. Uh, oh, yes. And the Graph Explorer has that, right? Like if you go there, yeah. 
you will be able to see different queries and links to the documentation. And uh, for example, for post requests, we give you the, the body already um, so that you can just tweak it with things here and there and, and try those requests as well. It's pretty awesome. I think we, we've spent... Uh, we spent a good time and have a lot of fun creating the Graph Explorer to help developers interact with the API and learn more about what's behind it. Yeah, this is uh, this is fantastic. I'm just uh, <laughs> I, so uh, give me one second here because what I'm doing as I'm you're actually... doing that, let me mention another. Sure, thing, yeah, go ahead. Is that we what not works? only have fixed data in the graph, but we also calculate things based on your activities. So in, uh, say, in your organization, every time that you meet with somebody else or every time that you co-author a document, all of those are signals that we capture in Office and in, in our services. And we then expose them as APIs that we use to feed our, you know, or to you know, build our own first-party experiences. We have an experience that is called Delve that basically brings you contextual information. Who are the people that you're working with? What are the documents that you might be interested on? And we expose those as APIs as well. So there's a lot of places in the graph where you can go and say, there's an API called people. So I can go to slash me slash people and bring me the people that I work with that uh, is based on those signals and not necessarily on oh, organizational that's, structure. That's really cool. That's really, yeah, because Delve has this magical ability. Yeah, you're right to know, like, who do you interact with the most? Mm -hmm. yes. um, so that's very cool. So, so we're those sort are of exposed seeing, as APIs. Yeah. So I'm guessing there's some kind of machine learning going on there yeah. um, that you're just sort of magically able to take advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I love this because if I go into show more samples, I see like users, groups, uh, Outlook Mail, Calendar, Contacts, OneDrive, Excel, Planner, Insights, OneNote, um, Extensions, uh, SharePoint, Microsoft Teams. I mean, it's just... Uh, yeah, this is, this is really cool. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that, that's, that's such a good point too, because I mean, if I, if I start accessing the data this way, I can kind of sit back and as you guys add new APIs, then it's just a matter of me going All of in the there bootstrapping, and, right. Yeah. All of the bootstrapping yeah. you already have in your code. Like yeah. say, for example, you just start calling the graph to get the user's picture and then you can just start augmenting that to get more information, whether it is from their content in Office or their devices in Windows, like all of that just starts becoming available and as we add more services adding those services to your code is becomes just a different navigation on a rest endpoint which is super simple exactly yeah so how do how do i actually get started on this i mean i know i went out to the graph explorer and i played around with this for 60 seconds um i mean like what's what's my next step um you know should i you know download so we a, have client a quick library start. or uh, we okay. have a quick starter that I mean, in less than three minutes gets you up and running so if you oh, on the same tab. uh in the same tab Glow to the quick start is going to uh, give you an uh, options to select what language or platform you prefer to use. So you click on that and it's going to do all of the app registration process for you and come back and give you an app and secret and then down basically download. You will be able to download a zip file that contains a code that is up and running and ready for you to just hit a five and, uh, and you know, start interacting with the graph. Well, what do you even need me for? I wrote all the code here. <laughs> well, <laughs> now yeah, that's, a, that's a really yeah. cool onboarding experience. Like here's the code. I mean, I've seen that in some other places, but that's, that's pretty neat. And then it has the the app and secret um, that you grabbed earlier. That's, that's yeah. very cool. Um, anything else that we, that I didn't ask about that you wanted to make sure you mentioned? Well, you know, like I, like you were saying before, the, it's very easy to get started. Uh, it's very easy to 
use the graph to build personalized experiences. Like even yeah. if you think about like, well, I'm not really interacting with the user's calendar or their files, right? But wouldn't it be nice when you come to a web application and you know more information about the user, you can give them their profile picture. You can use their identity in Microsoft to just provide sign-in experiences so you don't have to spin off that on your own, right? Like mm-hmm. provide uh, either with the uh enterprise account in Office 365 for their consumer account. You don't have to roll up your own IDP in order to start uh, using, uh, knowing who the user is. And then take advantage of the data that is in there, right? Like their picture and their content and providing contextual information. And, uh, you know, as you saw at Build, this this is just the early days, but it's exploding like crazy. We're adding more services and mm-hmm. uh, the amount of data that we're getting into the graph is is exponentially increasing. Yeah. And uh, it brings a great opportunity for developers to just uh, start there and add more things to the code and, and uh, start adding more data and more services. And that mm-hmm. connected to, as I was mentioning before, to you know our ML capabilities, to, to all of the services that we have as part of AI, which is the cognitive APIs or all of those things just starts to do a lot of super powerful scenarios. Mm-hmm. One, like actually I, I was in a hackathon back in February and one of the, one of the projects that they, the team did was like taking your phone and like, you know, how many times you go into a meeting that you don't really remember people's names or yeah. <laughs> you want to get a little bit more of information, insider information of who they are. So just taking, you know, the, the app was taking your phone, taking a picture of that person and then uh, using face recognition APIs to match it against all of the profile pictures in the directory mm-hmm. and will bring you back, hey, this is uh, Jason and he works on this team and this is the things that uh, he's been doing recently. So you can, you know, you're you're more prepared to mm-hmm. uh, have info about the team, the people that you're going to meet. So mm. uh, that's a I actually think I think you and I met at a at a Hackfest, actually, now that I think about it, because I had done something really similar to that. Uh, it was uh, I called it meeting spy and it was it was going out and getting like LinkedIn information. It was bringing in all this external information for like the m- current meeting that you're in. There so, you go. Yeah, well, th- it was. Uh, this it was one pretty- was in Oslo. I don't think you were. Uh, it was that one, but but okay. yes. Yeah, this was this was like this was like the week before we bought LinkedIn. I was pulling in all the LinkedIn data and I was complaining about you know like how to get to it. Yeah. Um, and then Satya announced like the next week, and I I totally take credit for buying LinkedIn. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> because the next week we bought LinkedIn. I'm like, oh, okay, well, this is going to get easier now. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that was all me. Um, yeah, the the thing that I um, have on my list that I want to build is um, I actually store my tasks in Trello mm-hmm. and I want to have those uh, tasks from Trello be, um, I basically want like a one-way mirror from Trello into my tasks in the graph. Yes. So if I add something to a particular list in Trello, I want uh, that item to show up as a task. And I, mm-hmm. you know, wh- when I've looked at the APIs, like that looks like it's fairly trivial yeah. to, to do that. Um, I mean, the only thing that makes it a little bit more complicated is when I actually mark it as completed then uh, through Outlook, I want that to go back and actually move the card in Trello. Um, so that would be kind of the the second phase there. Well, but there's not, there wouldn't be anything too difficult about from that. From our side, we have webhooks. So uh, the graph has uh, support oh. for subscriptions. And so you can uh, create a subscription against your tasks. And then when half a service that just hears for that notification and goes and updates the Trello board. Okay. Um, or you can use Planner, which is our 
our product. <laughs> that, that's a good point. I'm sorry. <laughs> I could I could use planner. That's, that's a good point though. Like the the webhook idea makes it pretty easy. I, I, the difficult part actually I think is in Trello because Trello you know it's not it wasn't designed specifically for tasks. So I'd actually be moving things between lists, and I think yeah. that's when it starts to get a little bit difficult. So I actually think you have the the easier of the two APIs from that perspective. Um, so looking forward, I, is there anything on the roadmap or anything direction wise that you can kind of mention to our listeners oh, that, that we, we should look forward to? Yeah, we're working on a lot of things right now. Um, we, I mentioned extensions, so we keep investing on how do we get more of the of data and connections on from the graph from different data sources, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're also working on hybrid. So like there's a lot of our customers, enterprise customers who still have a lot of data on premises. So how does um, how do we reach to that data that is sitting on on their, their on, on on their companies? Yeah, um, we're working on um, enhancing features. Like for example, I mentioned webhooks. So at Build, we also released uh, the support for Delta. So basically now you have with webhooks and Delta Sync, you have the ability to keep in sync with the data and all of the things that are happening within the graph, which is just pretty powerful. And we're adding support for batching and we're adding support for you know easier integration with uh, things like Azure Functions. Uh, Ooh, and, I like that. Yeah. So we, there's a lot of investments that we're doing around the, the Microsoft Graph that are, are really awesome like you know even today like we if you, if you wanted to for example be a, build a bot we mm-hmm. one of the things that we demoed at build is like a bot that it talks with the microsoft graph and uh, gets data from that and uses cognitive services and um it, it it is you can do it today like you'll have to just go and you know build a bot integrate the uh, the graph afterwards and all of that, but we're looking into how do we make that experience easier, right? Like, for example, in Azure Functions, how do we put a template that all is already connected and has mm-hmm. already all the auth pieces in it? Uh, so those are some of the things that we're we're doing right now. Oh, very cool, very cool. Okay, so there's a game that we play on the show. It's for kids, but we Uh-oh. enjoy playing it. So can you pick a num- <laughs> pick a number between one and four and let me know what it is? Three. Three. Okay. <laughs> oh, nice. Let me find a card that isn't used here. Hold on. I have a whole bunch of threes crossed off. Three is the most common number that people pick. Holy cow. Okay. We're almost one. out of threes. Okay. Here, no, I got, I, I found one. I found okay, one. Okay. You got a three. Okay. Okay. Would you rather be a big, slow bird <laughs> or a fast little fish? Um, A fast little fish. Definitely. Yeah. But then you can't fly. But I guess you wouldn't know. But I can swim, fly. right? It's like, I, yeah. and it can sneak in into the. From predators, I can. <laughs> yeah, but a, a whale, you know, is just gonna. You're not even gonna see it coming. But if you're like a slow, fat bird, like you won't be able to hold flight at all, right? Like, no, I, I was thinking when you said fat bird of like uh, an ostrich. What did like, say fat? I said slow. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe I just. <laughs> you just like, well, there's got to be re- no. Maybe you just have small what? wings. I don't know. Small you're like wings. a. You're like the bumblebee <laughs> of the bird world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to th- like what birds are slow um I can't think maybe you're like a like ducks no like geese like geese are slower no geese know. are pretty fast they still are fast and there's this huge migrations and yeah, yeah. I don't know somebody will write it <laughs> and tell us what what bird is slow I I still think I'd be the bird though you'll be the uh, bird yeah. Yeah. Well, I just think it'd be, everybody wants to fly, right? There's room for everyone. You can be a yeah. bird. I'll be the fish. The the funny thing is, like, I think everybody wants to fly, but 
you know, people like me, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to handle the heights. <laughs> so I don't know. I'd have to sort of resolve that. So maybe <laughs> when it comes problem. down to it. Yeah. yeah. You know, that would be that problematic uh, from your choice there. Yeah. 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 You never see any birds that are afraid of heights, you know, cause they're dead. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that note. Um, so where can, uh, where can people find you? Um, so at Twitter, my handle is at Yina, that's Y-I-N-A underscore A-R-E-N-A-S. Okay. And um, and obviously, to integrate with the graph, just go to graph.microsoft.com in your browser, and that's going to redirect you to our developer portal. Mm-hmm. And all of the experiences that we were just talking about, the Graph Explorer, the Quick Starter, all of their documentation. And yeah, that's that's the place. Perfect. And tw- and Carl is on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. And I, I just know he just had a tweet. He said he's, he's actually finished the uh, underwater Azure uh, data center work early. And now he is on a, uh, a manned mission to Mars. So it looks like he's going to be gone for like 18 months. Um, so we wish him well on his he's trip. Gonna be to, the first uh, to one. Yeah, hopefully he took some potatoes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we look forward to your your return, Carl. Hopefully, uh, Twitter continues to work on your on your trip. Uh, and I am uh, Jason Young, and you can find me at whytechie.com or on Twitter at twitter.com slash whytechie. So, Yina, thank you so much for coming on here and talking to us about Graph API. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. 